Good evening, everyone. Last class tonight. Uh, we're missing a few because I think uh, some who have been in the class have to start preparing for the uh, next the next quarter. So this is officially the last class. We're going to be in Matthew seven. We need to finish up Matthew chapter seven tonight. And John, you gonna come in at the at the very the last shall be first and first shall be last. I was teaching you. So I guess we gotta start from the top to get you caught up. We told him he couldn't ask any questions. No, I appreciate seeing you, John. Uh, Matthew seven. We're gonna be in lesson eighteen, last lesson. Uh, tonight, and Andy, would you mind, sir, leading sure. us in a word of prayer, please? Yeah, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time thanking you for the many blessings. We thank you for the life, for the health, for the beat in our hearts, and we thank you, Father, for this great opportunity to be here uh, among your, your people, to worship you and to uh, learn more about your word and your will. We ask you to be with us as we are edified through your word. Be with Brother Sean that he may uh, remember those things that he has prepared for us. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right, so let's go back to Matthew chapter 7 and start with verse 13 where Jesus says, and remember we made the point that this is the invitation. Really, we consider this the invitation of the sermon where Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad, the leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you can know them, or we can even say you can judge them by their fruits. Choices. Choices. Life's about choices, right? That's life. What you have on tonight, that was a choice you made. You being here, Sit in that seat. That was a choice. If you're married, the person you're married to, the person you're sitting next to right now, that was your choice. Being a member of this church, being a member of the Montevista Church of Christ, that's a choice. You didn't have to be a member here. You could have been a member somewhere else. You could be a member at Valley right now if you wanted to. That, that's, it is your choice to be part of this church. Serving Jesus, that's a choice too, isn't it? That's a choice. Implementing this teaching that we've been talking about for the last three months. Applying it to your life. That's a choice. All that's a choice. That's what Jesus is trying to emphasize in the final part of this sermon here. In the final part of the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus is offering a choice. Could Jesus force us to serve him if he wanted to? Absolutely. He could have made us programmed robots. He could have made us that way, but He didn't make us that way. While He could force us to serve Him, worship Him, love Him, that's not the way He intends it to be. He gives us a choice. A choice. 
part of being made in the image of God. One aspect of it, and there are many aspects of that, but one key aspect of it is like God, we can choose. Now, in these verses we've looked at, in verses 13 and 14, we see that we can choose our spiritual path. We can choose to either take that broad path that's going to lead to destruction. And there are many people who made that choice. Or we can choose a narrow path that leads to eternal life. And unfortunately, only a few people make that choice. We can also choose who we listen to. That's verses 15 through 20. You know, one of the reasons why so many people are on the broad path is because they're listening to the wrong people. They're listening to the wrong preachers. At this time, they're listening to the wrong rabbis. They're listening to the wrong prophets. Who you listen to, who you get teaching from and receive teaching from, that, that plays a big part in what kind of path you're going to choose to go on. Today, in our time, most religious folks are on that wrong path. They may be religious, but they're on the wrong path. And you know why? Because they're listening to the wrong people. They're listening to the wrong teachers. And so how do we recognize a teacher of truth and a false teacher? Well, Jesus says you will know them by their by the fruits. Fruits can be what? Your fruit of a teacher's fruit can be a couple of different things. What is one thing we said? Yes. Teaching Your doctrine, what you teach. If if you teach in the Bible and solely the Bible and rightly dividing the Bible, then that's good fruit. That's good fruit. But if you're coming outside this book and teaching things that are totally foreign, that's bad fruit. Jesus said you can recognize a teacher of truth and a false teacher by the fruit. And not just by the fruit, but by also how they live, how they conduct themselves. The Pharisees were teaching a lot of things that were right, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't live right. And Jesus says you can know a teacher by his fruit. Now, let's go to verse 21 and 22 and 23. This is where we want to go tonight. We end, as we get ready to wrap this up. Not everyone who says to me, now listen carefully to the language. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So in this section, Jesus is saying that I only can we choose what path, what spiritual path we go down, and not only can we choose who we're going to listen to and accept teaching from, but we can also choose whose standard we're going to live by. This is about the right standard here. So let's talk a little bit about these people in this text. This is a powerful text here in the scripture. And I want you to kind of help me break this down just a little bit. I got a few questions I want to ask you, okay? The first one is this. These people, these people here, and there's a group of people here in the text. What are they doing? Can someone explain that to us? What are these people doing in these verses? Yes, Don. Things that look good. Okay. Things that are generally accepted by the, the social standards. And, and let, me, let me clarify my question. I'm sorry, Don. I probably said it wrong. I mean, you're, and you're right about what you're saying. We're going to dive into that actually with the, with the next question. I mean, in this particular moment, right? If you were, if you could have been there, let's say you are putting in a machine and you can see this, like you can see what's going on in this text. What are you seeing these people doing in this text? 
Like you can see this. Listening. What you say? Listening. Listening, pleading, pleading about what? What is going on here? What scene is this? This is like what person? This is a okay. This is a judgment scene. Yes, that's, that's what I'm trying okay. to God yes. saying, haven't we done this? We've done this. We've, I mean, pleading their whole list of their whole life of what they've done. So what we have here is an appearing of people before the Lord. That's the main thing we need to start with. This is judgment day. That's it. That's an important point because a lot of people don't believe in a judgment day. But this is this is Jesus telling you what's going to happen in the future. This is a prophecy. And, and, and so we got the, we got we got an appearing before the Lord. Two second question, and this goes with what Don is leading to next. These people who appear before the Lord here are they believers or not? When I say believers, I don't just mean you know I don't mean like thinking okay faithful. No, I'm just saying do they believe in Jesus? Do they do they believe He's the Lord? Yes, yes. They call Him Lord, yeah. right? Okay. All right. So these are. People who appear before the Lord and they believe He's the Lord. They call Him Lord. Third, are these people saved or lost? And when you give your answer, tell me why you're giving your answer. Are they saved or lost here? Why are they lost? Because they didn't do everything that that Jesus asked them to do. They didn't do everything that was in the law. They didn't do everything Jesus said to do. It's a great answer, Teresa. Yes, yes, Ryan and John after that. Yes, sir. Can we define lawlessness? Because that's sometimes that's a misconception to people. Because when they look at lawlessness, it's murder, fornication. You know, it's it's all the big stuff. The big things. It's all the, the black, big things. The black things. Right? It's, it's not all the 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 little the lie. Yes. Yes. It's, 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 it's none of that. So we need to make sure that we define that before we go in. I think. Well, no, I, and and Ryan, you, you you're exactly right. In fact, you're two steps ahead of me because right. we will. No, no, no. That's excellent. We're going to do that. I promise you that because that is that is the key part. Right. John. Yes, sir. This. Uh, what is this? Uh, you're going to prophesy in the name, cast out demons, and perform miracles. <coughs> Judas Iscariot did all those things. He sure did. Yeah. And there may have been many others yes. too. Jesus never says these aren't legitimate, does yes. he? He never says that. He never says, wait a minute, no, you guys didn't. Yeah. So I think there's something to be said about that. Yes. That's a great point. Done, yes, sir. Can we go all the way back to this word straight? Yes, please. Go that's, ahead. That's not the shortest distance between two points. Right. That is like the Straits of Magellan, which is an extremely hazardous route to navigate. And every time you come around run one rock, now you got another one to confront. Are you going to go left or right? And it's like the, the Pharisee and the priest who saw the dude laying by the side of the road. They had a choice to make. Here is an obstacle. Are they going to take care of it or are they going to bypass it because of their not wanting to become unclean? And we have got those decisions to make minute by minute sometimes. Yes, yes. That's a wonderful point, Don. I think all, all y'all on, on just making excellent points. So let's let me break this down just a little bit. Go ahead, Teresa. You got to come. I don't want to pass you up, man. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's just another thing. What what we've been talking about from the very beginning. It's their heart. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely right. Don't miss that at all. So here we got a judgment day scene. We have, and I don't want you to miss this in this particular scene here. Jesus telling us exactly who will be saved and who will be lost. 
You've ever, if you've ever wondered, okay, who's going to be saved? Who's going to be lost? How is that determined? Jesus tells it here. This is the text. In this text, He tells us exactly who will go to heaven and who exactly will go to hell. The people who will be saved, according to Jesus, are not the people who merely believe in Him. These people believe in Him. When I say believe, I mean they believe He's the Lord, okay? That mental understanding there. They believe that. But Jesus said in verse 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The idea there is you believe in me as in, in me as the Lord. That's not enough. And isn't that what our religious world tries to tell us today? That that's enough? Jesus said it's not enough. And that goes to what James says. Faith without works is dead. Uh, yes, Ryan. Yes. I was going to say, verse 24, first part of verse 24 yes. answers that whole yes. question. Absolutely. And acts on them. That's the same. That's parallel to James. Yes. Two. Two. Well, before I get to number two, let me give you a few examples to go with that, Ryan, as to the people who merely believe in Jesus and are lost. Somebody brought up Judas. John brought up Judas. Did not Jesus believe in Jesus as the Lord? He believed it. And Jesus, that's why Judas followed him for three years. He believed he was the Son of God and the Lord, the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and calls him good teacher. And he comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved and inherit eternal life? He believed. And then the demons. The demons believe. Are they going to be saved? What about many people today? A lot of people today believe in Jesus, don't they? They believe He's the Lord. They believe He's the Son of God. But Jesus says that's not enough. That's not enough at all. Yes, John? It makes me think of somebody like who's called Mother Teresa who, who would certainly believe, believe in Christ and believe in the Lord, but she has the will of the Pope rather than the will of God. Well, the Pope believes in Jesus too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Billy Graham believes in, believes in Jesus. Joel Osteen believes in Jesus. So Jesus is saying here that, that that's not enough. I need to keep moving here, okay? Because we got this is our last class, and we we got to get this in. We got just no more. There is no other day for us besides today. You're not going to get okay. to Matthew 25. Uh, I wish I could, John. <laughs> All right. So the second thing Jesus is saying here: not only is belief in Him as the Lord not enough, neither is mere confession. These people don't just believe in Jesus; they they acknowledge Him. And that's something else that some people say, well, if you believe and confess it, that's good enough. No, these people confessed it. They confess it. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Confession doesn't save them, not even on the judgment day. So you're not just believing it's going to get you there, not just confessing, and neither is doing a bunch of religious things and slapping Jesus' name on it. That's not, that's not enough either. These people did religious stuff here. Uh, casting demons out of people. That's pretty big stuff. Uh, prophesying. Anybody who can prophesy? These people are prophesying. They're casting demons. They're doing many things in the name of Jesus. That's equivalent to us saying today, going to church. These are church-going people. These are people singing the songs, praying the prayers, doing the Bible reading, evangelizing. Doing all that stuff. 
and thinking they're earning their way to heaven. And that's one of the main things that worries me about God's people. is for us falling to the trap and thinking we're earning something because we either have perfect attendance to church. We are not earning anything. Okay? We can't. It's impossible. Because sin is something that can, you can only be saved from it by the grace of God. So these people here are doing a bunch of religious things and notice they're shocked. They're shocked there's any question about their salvation. What are we doing in this situation? We did all this good stuff. I'm a good person. I, I, I did all this religious stuff. But Jesus said you're still not saved because you did works of lawlessness. You didn't do it all. You didn't do all of God's will. You did some of it. But you violated other aspects of it. That's lawlessness. When you break the law. What is a lawless person in our society? What is a lawless person? Not just Is it just a murderer? Someone who breaks the law. It's someone who's breaking law. And willfully at times breaking law. Speeding. Yes, speeding. I mean, uh, jaywalking. I mean, we can go down the list here. So these people did some good. But they didn't do it all. All that Jesus required. This is teaching us something very profound here. This is teaching us that we can fall into the trap. This is the main lesson I want you to take away here. We can fall into the trap of self-deception. A lot of religious people have fallen into the trap of self-deception. They're judging themselves by their own standard. They're thinking because they do a few good religious things and they're good people and they don't murder and, and, and rape and, okay, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to heaven. Jesus says we can fall to the trap of believing we're following him, but we're really not. We're really not. Jesus says there's only one way you can know for sure if you're really following him. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who what? That's who's going to heaven. Those who do the will of the Father. The implication there is do all the will of the Father. Not just some of it. All of it. That's the only people that's going to be saved. It's the people who do all the Lord requires. Now where do you find the will of God? Where do you find the will of the Father? That's it. It's, it's really simple. I know some people are thinking right now, but that's just too simple. Yes, it's supposed to be that simple. It's not rocket science. Jesus is not, you know, the Bible is not designed to confuse you so you can, you know, miss a bunch of stuff and be lost. No, Jesus says that's simple. Learn God's will and do it. <laughs> You'll be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. Jesus here is saying that when it comes to eternity, your standard doesn't matter. My standard doesn't matter. The world's standard doesn't matter. The preacher's standard doesn't matter. The only standard that matters is God's. It's Jesus' standard. That's the only people that's going to be saved. I mean, this text right here tells us that when it comes to life, there's one ultimate judge, and that's Jesus. Who's judging these people here? Jesus judging them. Jesus judging these people. Who's the king here? Jesus is the king. Who's the main boss here? Jesus is the main boss. Who's the chief shepherd here? Jesus is. Jesus here is telling us that when it comes to determining who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost, the preacher doesn't determine that. You don't determine that. The only person who determines that is him. Do you see that? He is the only one 
That's decide who's going to be saved, who's going to be lost. These people are trying to decide that themselves. We should get in. We're so good. Jesus says, no, you got to go through me. And I say no. And I say no because you didn't do the will of the Father. It's that simple. And I'm not going to make it more complicated than that. I'm just not. There are a lot of religious people who believe they're saved, but they're wrong. They're wrong because they're basing their eternity on their own standard and not Jesus. So if you want to wake up tomorrow feel, knowing that you're on that, on that right path, just line your life up with the Scripture. It's that simple. Just line it up with the Scripture. Are you doing the best you can? And don't forget your heart. Don't forget your heart. Because God knows your heart. In your heart, are you trying to do your best to do God's will? You may not have it all figured out, but you love God and you're trying to be faithful to God and you're trying to do what's right. If that's you, Live your life with some confidence and know, hey, it's going to be okay. Jesus knows you. He knows your heart. He knows you're trying. He knows you're doing your best to do His will every day. That's who's going to be saved. That's who's going to be saved. And so, a thing I want you to take away from this, and then I'll open up some final some comments on this section, is don't listen to what a lot of people are trying to promote today when they say obedience doesn't matter. Obedience matters. Doing God's will matters. God didn't put us on this earth to live however we want to live and do whatever we want to do and call ourselves good people and think we're going to be saved. No, Jesus says you've got to do right. You've got to do His will. How you live matters. Your obedience matters. What you do in religion, it matters. And so, comments on that before we move on to the next section here, please. Yes, ma'am, John. Is it John 14, 15 that says, If you love me, you'll keep my if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let's throw some Luke 6.46 on there too. Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Lines up perfectly. Absolutely. Along, along with Joan, I think it even says that in the Old Testament. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. <laughs> it means doing. Ecclesiastes 12.13. Solomon had to learn that lesson the hard way. At the end of his life, he realized... That when it's all said and done, our lives are about fearing God and doing His will. Second wisest man in the world. That's it. That's it. And there's the wisdom, right? That's the ultimate wisdom he had right there. Yeah. Figuring out what life was really all about and what it should be about. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir, Don, go ahead. John chapter, or John, Romans chapter 4. The basic subject has to do with, with circumcision. Yes, yes. And the... the and that's the same, I'm sorry, no, is that the part about Abraham and saying, yes. about the, the faith of Abraham? Abraham was, did, did that act, that physical act, do anything for him? And the answer is no, because that covenant wasn't made until 13 years after he, yes. he was declared to be the friend of God. The thing that caused him to be the friend of God is that he obeyed. Yes. And true obedience ties to what true faith is. Yes. True faith is not mere mental assent. True faith, according to James, going back to James again, is belief accompanied with obedience. Belief accompanied with action. You go to Hebrews 11, and you read that whole chapter in Hebrews 11. you got Noah mentioned there. you got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab. They all have the same thing in common. They believe God, and their belief led them to act. They did something. They did the will of God. That's why they were saved. This is a consistent message in the Bible. When we get to heaven, one thing we should all have in common there, or that we will all have in common, is we believe God and we obey Him. 
we did His will. That doesn't mean we earned our salvation, but it means that we truly loved Him and we truly demonstrated our trust in Him by living our lives His way and leaning on Him completely. That, that's, what, that's what the Lord is driving at here. Uh, anybody else? Yes. The, the other aspect of that is it has to be a continual thing, and that's where Matthew 25 comes in, verses 1 through 10. All 10 started out, only half of them made it. Yes. Because they were not prepared to endure. Yes. And so, no, that's a good point, Don. And so, let us not fall into the trap of ever thinking that we can earn our salvation by doing religious things, or even things, religious things that are found in the Scripture. <coughs> But let us also not fall into the trap of thinking that obedience doesn't matter and that doing God's will doesn't matter. The thing that separated these two groups of people in Matthew 7 was one did God's will, one did not. And it's that simple. And so that brings us down to the last section here. The last section here. Therefore, verse 24. Therefore. <clears throat> that means we're con continuing the same idea here. Why were these people lost? Lawlessness. Well, here we go, Jesus says. I'll explain more to you. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, that's obedient, doing God's will, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So just give me a few minutes to get this last part in because I really need to get this in. The final part of this sermon it ends in a very appropriate way when you know or are very familiar with Jesus' teaching. It ends with a parable. Isn't that appropriate? <clears throat> Jesus taught over 30 something parables in the Gospels. Jesus brings this whole sermon to a close by telling the parable of the two builders. The parable of the two build the builders. The parable of the two builders is about building your life, building your spiritual life, building your faith on a solid foundation. Now today, with our modern technology. When we are building structures, when we're building houses, when your house was built, someone came and they poured a big slab. They usually hire a big rock, a rock company to come out and they pour a slab. They, they ensure that you have a solid foundation to build something. Okay? And Jesus' time with their rock companies to come out and do something like that, you know how they did it in Jesus' time? They did it the old-fashioned way. They did it the hard way. They dug down to the slab. They dug down to the bedrock. That's how they did it. They did that to ensure that the things they built, the homes they built, would have a solid foundation. If they did not dig down to the bedrock or the slab, they could be fooled by the surface conditions. Does that make sense? You can't just judge it on the surface. You could get fooled. If they just went by the surface conditions, they might make a big mistake. They might waste a bunch of time and a bunch of resources 
they might be building on on sand. And you don't want to build on sand. You see, like all Jesus' other parables, here Jesus is using some beautiful imagery to teach something spiritual. He is, is using beautiful imagery to teach that when it comes to our spiritual houses, our spiritual lives, we got to build on a solid foundation. You got to build on a solid foundation. You got to build on you got to build on the rock. You got to build on him. You got to make him the foundation of your life. In the Bible, and correct me if I'm wrong here, God is often referred to as the the chief cornerstone, that's Ephesians, but even beyond for that, he's often called the rock. How many times does David <laughs> and the Psalms, we know we read the Psalms last year, right? How many times did you catch David calling God his rock and his fortress? Doesn't David do that all the time? David said, I build my life on the rock, which is God. In the prophets, Many of the prophets in their writings refer to God as the rock. Read Isaiah's writings. Read Habakkuk. God is often in those books referred to as the rock. And then Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, when trying to get Israel to not make the same mistake the previous generation did, he often referred to God as the rock. Jesus says that if you want to avoid spiritual catastrophe when the storms come, because the storms are going to come, aren't they? We all have had storms in our lives. The storms come. If you want to avoid catastrophe, be wise and build on the rock. How do you build on the rock? What are two things he said? What are those two things? Very simple. Keep it simple. Jesus kept it simple. What are the two things you got to do to build on the rock? You got to do blank and blank. He says it in the text. Hear and do. Hear and do. Hear and do. Notice it again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them or acts on them. It's that simple. Someone says, it's just too simple. Well, it's, it's supposed to be that simple. It's supposed to be that simple because your soul is at stake. God's not going to play around with your soul. He's going to make this easy for you. It's not like reading Revelation. If you don't understand all Revelation, you still can be saved. If you don't understand all Ezekiel, you still can be saved. If you don't understand all of Zechariah, Okay, you may not be as smart, quote unquote, but you're still gonna be saved. You gotta get this. You gotta get this, and so Jesus says, "I'm gonna make sure you don't miss it. If you want to build your life on the rock, hear my words, my words, and do them." Hearing and doing is what ultimately determines who is wise and who is foolish in the eyes of God. If you want to be wise in the eyes of God. Build your life on Jesus. If you want to be a fool, then don't listen to him or just listen to him and don't do. That's what he's saying there. And so, let me just say this last thing here and then I'll let you make a couple of comments here. This is another, this is another thing that's going to come back up on the judgment day. Okay, when we, when we think about storms, we think about floods, and, you know, things like that. We think about problems, right? We think about things we go through in our lives that are tough. Those are storms, aren't they? You, you, you lose a loved one. You go through problems in your marriage. 
You go through problems with your kids. You go through problems on your job. You go through persecution in your society. That's storms, right? But you know, that's not the ultimate storm coming. There's a bigger storm coming. And you know what it's called? It's called the return of Jesus Christ. The return of Jesus is going to be the ultimate storm where a lot of people are going to be spiritually wiped out. And if we want to avoid being on the wrong end of that storm, then Jesus says, hear me and do what I say. When that storm comes, that's the one that's really going to count. And if we want to be on the right end of that, it goes with obeying Jesus. Yes, sir, Ryan. Go ahead, sir. I want to tie James 1.25 to all this. If we can, if I can yes, please. Would you, would you mind reading that, please, sir? Yeah. James 1.25, is yeah. that right? Yes. Okay. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law and the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That, I mean, that, that's, that, that's exactly what you're saying. It just ties into what you, I mean, I, I saw that in my span. There it is. This man, it's amazing how much James says things that are found in the Sermon on the Mount first. This same man who's a brother, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus in his ministry, and yet he's quoting the Sermon on the Mount over and over again, or making reference to it in some way. And that's another one. That is Matthew 7, 24 through 26. Good point, Ryan. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am, Janice. I can't help but think about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. So, my favorite, some of my favorite verses. Yeah. Um, we're wise if we acknowledge the Lord. Yes. And not hear ourselves. Don't. We can't be wise in our own eyes, but we need to hear what He has to say. It goes back with hearing and doing that you just mentioned. Yes. Yes, Solomon says there, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And the number one way you acknowledge God is by obeying God. If you do that, He'll make your path straight. Spiritual path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Absolutely. That's another passage that lines up perfectly with what we're saying there. One more comment here. We've got a couple more minutes. Anyone else? Does all this make sense here? 28 and 29. Jesus is finished with this sermon. And the people, how do they respond to it according to the text? Verse 28. They hear this sermon and they are what? Astonished. Astonished. Mm -hmm. My translation says amazed. Astonished. Amazed. They are amazed because he did a great miracle, right? That's what they're amazed at. He did a miracle. He raised a dead person. He gave sight to the blind here. He healed a leper. What are they amazed at? His teaching. His teaching. I like that because we see that Jesus is amazing people not just through miracles, but through his teaching. And that's the main thing that really counted to him, was that people were impressed with the teaching because it was the teaching, not the miracles, that was going to lead to salvation. The miracles only confirmed the teaching. Verse 28, I need to say this last thing real quick, Don, that I'll give you a chance to make a comment here. Verse 28, it says he taught as one who had authority. Now that's different than what they were accustomed to. Because it says he didn't teach as the scribes. The scribes, when they taught, they did not teach as one who had authority. They made reference to other authorities. They, they taught and said, well, believe this or do this because the, this rabbi said this. Rabbi Gamaliel said this or whoever. 
Jesus didn't make references to rabbis. He didn't have to because he is the ultimate source of authority. He doesn't have to say, Rabbi so-and-so said this. Rabbi so-and-so said that. Jesus is the ultimate rabbi, the ultimate teacher. And what he says is the only thing that really counts. And that's why they were amazed because they were not accustomed to that. They were accustomed to the religious teachers making reference to other teachers. Jesus says, no, my words, my words are what's going to judge you. Listen to me, no one else. Yes, sir, Don. There's an alternate translation to that word amazed that we have here yes. in Greek literature, and it has to do with being struck with panic. Wow. Wow. Wow, we just heard this, and we've been doing it all wrong. Yes. Man, I like that. Wow. It's the idea of being struck with panic. That wouldn't surprise me at all, Don, yeah. because Jesus just totally ripped up well, everything the Pharisees taught. Look at John 6. How can we do this? Yes. Hey, that, that's really good. It kind of reminds me also after Jesus told the truth about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and the apostle says, who in the world can do that? That's it. Jesus had that kind of, his teaching had that kind of uh, effect on people. Two by four in front of the guy. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yes. So four applications here real quick. Just write these things down real quick. We've already said it, but I just want to emphasize it. Being a disciple is about doing. Because uh, a lot of folks say, you don't have to do nothing. You don't have to do nothing. Just believe, whatever. No, you got to do something. How many times did Jesus talk about doing here? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does. Verse 24, therefore who hears these words of mine and does them. Christianity is a doing religion. Got to do. Secondly, the storms are coming. Okay? Storms of life come, especially as a Christian. And this is something we tell new converts a lot. We tell them that, hey, the devil, the devil wasn't after you before because he already had you. But now, now that you're on the Lord's team, guess what the devil's about to do? He's coming at you now. He's coming at you now. And have, have you ever been assaulted by Satan before? We all have. So that kind of storm is coming, but the ultimate storm is coming too. And that's the return of our Lord Jesus Christ when this world is destroyed and eternity begins. And so thirdly, Jesus is saying, be wise and prepare for the storms. Prepare for the storms that come from Satan in this life. Prepare for the ultimate storm, which is Judgment Day. Prepare for that by hearing and doing. And then number four, and last thing, we're all building our lives on something. Right now as you live your life, okay, and as I live my life, guess what? Our lives are built on something. Either it's built on a solid foundation or, or a, a foundation of, of sand. But right now in your life, you either have a solid foundation or a weak one. That's just the, And I don't know what that answer is. You know it. God knows it. Oh, I know it's myself. But I would say this. Make sure you're building it on the right thing. Make sure you build it on the rock. Because if your life is not built on Jesus right now, you may be going through this life and making a lot of money and and doing well, and got your education, got a nice home, and, and people like you, you may feel like you're going down a tub of butter right now. But that storm is coming. And when that storm comes, everything you thought was great is going to crumble. And the only thing that's going to matter is if you heard Jesus and did what He said. So be wise, Jesus says, and build your life on the rock. That's this sermon. And I appreciate y'all being in the class. I hope, I hope you learned something. Thank you for putting up with, with the teaching.
Uh, keep studying this. Keep reading it. I know the ladies are studying this right now. They're cleaning up every bad thing me and Rick talks. So God bless y'all on that. But uh, I appreciate y'all so much. Keep studying this over and over again. It is a core to Christianity. Thank y'all so much. Thank you.